the guiding principle of the new governance was basically the existence of a permanent state of revolution, and meaning like continuing change in the state and in society. This is History Untold Podcast, and I'm Jesse Mazzoni. Each episode, our guests from around the world share an important moment in their country's history that is often unknown or misunderstood. In this episode, my guest and I discuss how one man, Mustafa Kemal Ataturk, saved the Turkish people from colonization, established the Turkish Republic, and created a progressive society ahead of its time, all following the collapse of the Ottoman Empire in 1922. There is no single perspective or story that encompasses the whole truth, so please email us at historyuntoldpodcast at gmail.com if you would like to share a different perspective on this story or if you'd like to join the podcast as a guest. Today, my guest, Oigar Dewan, is going to be talking about the end of the Sultanate and the proclamation of the Turkish Republic in 1923. Before we get started, Oigar, I would love it if you could introduce yourself to our listeners and tell us why you chose to discuss this important moment in Turkey's history. Thank you, first of all, for making me a, a part of this beautiful podcast. I am uh, Uygardoğan. I am a legal alien who uh, lives in New York. I immigrated to the United States about 23 years ago. I came here for an MBA and I ended up staying here. I'm originally from Turkey, uh, a city named Adana on the Mediterranean coast of Turkey. And uh, I am not a historian. I actually work for a technology company as uh, like a technical project manager, let's say. Actually, we're doing uh, like uh, agile uh, project management. And today I chose to tell people about how the Turkish Republic was proclaimed and what happened to the Ottoman Empire. And also talk about uh, Mustafa Kemal Ataturk, the founder of our nation. So I want to talk about the moment uh, our independence was declared and our new nation was formed, and of course, how it affects our lives today. Okay, great, thank you. So this historical moment, the proclamation of the Turkish Republic and the end of the Sultanate occurred in 1923. But as you mentioned, this all was preceded by the fall of the Ottoman Empire. Can you tell us a little bit more about the fall of the empire and what all was leading up to the declaration of the Turkish Republic. Absolutely. I uh, also want our listeners to know that, as I'm no historian, I did look up a lot of the information from uh, the Great Britannica and some uh, Wikipedia articles as well. So the history of Turks goes a way, way long back. Uh, the first mention of Turks was in a Chinese text that mentioned uh, the trade of Turkic tribes along the Silk Road, and that was around 200 BC. Now, I'm not going to cover the time between 200 BC and the formation of the Ottoman Empire. That could be a you know podcast by itself. Uh, the, the Ottoman Empire was named after uh, Osman, who was the founder. In, in Turkish, we call it the Osmanlı İmparatorlu. So the Ottoman uh, translates to his name in Turkish, Osman, who lived 1259 through 1326. And he's a Turkish Muslim prince in the ancient Anatolia, 
who conquered the neighboring regions uh, that were once held by the Seljuk dynasty. And he founded his own ruling line around the year 1300. And in a summary, the Ottoman troops, uh, they first invaded Europe in 1345, sweeping through the Balkans. And by 1453, that's a very important date in Turkish history, the Ottomans under Mehmet II, he's known as the conqueror, or as the Turks called him, Fatih Sultan Mehmet, uh, had destroyed the Byzantine Empire and captured its capital, Constantinople, of course, now known as Istanbul and uh, henceforth uh, served as the Ottoman capital. Then uh, later under Selim I and his son Suleiman I. Uh, this is years, you know, 1500 on through 1566. The Ottoman reached its greatest peak. Uh, Sultan Suleiman, and we call him in Turkish Kanuni Sultan Suleiman, in English he's known as the Suleiman the Magnificent, uh, was known for a magnificent decade, basically, or a couple of decades that he ruled over. Uh, he took control of uh, parts of Persia, most of Arabia, and large sections of Hungary and the Balkans. And by early 16th century, the Ottomans also took over Syria and Egypt. And I believe that might be the largest that they have ever become. And so just to summarize, Starting around the end of the 1200s, beginning of the 1300s is when the empire was established and then mm-hmm. it was growing outward, um, mm-hmm. really encompassing a lot of the Mediterranean area, the, you know, the Middle Eastern countries around the Mediterranean, maybe North Africa as well, and some mm-hmm. of Europe. Is that correct? That is correct. Okay, so we we reached the peak of that mm-hmm. expansion in the 1500s, correct? That is correct. The Ottoman power then began to decline. Began to decline in late 16th century when uh, Ottoman forces they repeatedly besieged Vienna. And there's a little fun fact here I want to insert. This is how coffee made its way to Europe. Uh, after the siege was over, the Turkish troops, they left a lot of their belongings on the battlefield, and those belongings were then collected by the Vienna troops, and uh, in which there was a lot of coffee the Turkish troops brought with them. And uh, this is the first time they had ever seen it, and they took it, and they made, they made magnificent things with it. Uh, so that, that's great. I'm so happy that happened. So, of course, uh, Turkish coffee is the way to go in uh, a lot of places in Turkey. Every home makes their own, but all these lattes, these, you know, uh, all sorts of making it is, is great. Europeans made it a different game. Yes. Uh, but uh, after their final effort at taking the Austrian capital failed and the subsequent losses led them to relinquish Hungary as well. Corruption and decadence gradually undermined the government and also other wars at various borders basically further weakened the empire. And most of its remaining European territory was also lost in the Balkan Wars in 1912 and 13. And yeah, the final blow was basically the Ottoman Empire sided with Germany in World War I, as we all know how that ended. And the post-war treaties basically dissolved the empire. Uh, In 1922, the Sultanate and soon after uh, the Caliphate was abolished by Mustafa Kemal Atatürk, who proclaimed the Republic of Turkey the following year. And that is the moment in history that made me decide to contribute to this podcast. 
Okay. Thank you so much for summarizing that huge, important stretch of history in not only Turkey's history, but in global history. I know the Ottoman Empire was such an important force in the formation of the modern world as we know it. And it's it's interesting to hear how it expanded to such an extent and then how seemingly rapidly it almost disappeared. Um, so that that's very interesting to hear. So now I would love if you could tell us more about how Turkey was actually formed. That would be wonderful. And I'm excited to hear more about the Sultanate and how that was dissolved as well. Of course, of course. Let's talk about a historical person that made uh, history happen for us, the founder of modern Turkey. Mustafa Kemal was born in 1881, where right now it's a, a city called Thessaloniki. And in Turkish, we call it Selanik. This is a beautiful city in uh, Greece, modern day Greece today. And he graduated near the top of his class in the military school. As a young officer, he was critical of the government of Ottoman Empire and became involved with the Turkish Nationalists Committee of Union and Progress. He nevertheless fought for the Ottoman government uh, during World War I, and he actually achieved great success against Allied forces during the Dardanelles campaign. He, uh, even though the war was lost, he did win some battles there. And after the war ended, the Allies pretty much started ravaging what's left of the Ottoman Empire, mainly Anatolia. And after witnessing this as a young officer and a general of the Ottoman Empire, Mustafa Kemal was determined to ask the allies. And he began meeting with selected friends throughout time he made in military school and in different war zones. And they formulated a policy to save Turkey. And at that time, also in various parts of Anatolia, Turks had already taken matters into their own hands, uh, calling themselves associations for the defense of rights and organizing their own paramilitary units. And fearing anarchy, the Allies urged the Sultan, who basically had become a puppet of the Allies at that point, to restore order in Anatolia. And the Grand Vizier, which is the right hand of the Sultan at that time, recommended uh, Mustafa Kemal as a loyal officer who could be sent to Anatolia as Inspector General of the Third Army. And Mustafa Kemal also contrived uh, to get his orders written in such a way as to give him extraordinarily extensive powers at that time. These included like the authority to issue orders throughout Anatolia and uh, command obedience from provincial governors. And modern Turkish history may be said to begin on the morning of May 19th, 1999, with Mustafa Kemal's landing at Samsun on the Black Sea coast of Anatolia. And so psychologically meaningful was this date for him that when in later in life he was asked uh, to provide his date of birth for an encyclopedia article, he gave it as May 19th, 1919. It sounds like at the time where all of this is coming to a boiling point, the Allied forces are occupying the area currently known as Turkey. Is that correct? That is correct. Okay, so the Allied forces that won in World War One are occupying the area known as Turkey, the former Ottoman Empire, and they have, I shouldn't say they have, rather 
Turkey has its sultan um, in power leading its people, but it's believed that that sultan is really a puppet figure, more loyal to the allies who are occupying the country. Is that right? At that point, that is correct. Yes. Uh, and he was uh, signing treaties left and right uh, and giving you know land away, basically. Okay, and that is when Mustafar is put into a position of power um, in the military, and he is able to give himself more power. And his goal is different from that of the Sultan, correct? Exactly. His goal is to actually save the Turkish people and not give away, you know, parts of the country to Italy, to France, to Greece, to Armenia and other forces. Okay. And my my own uh, hometown, Adana, was actually invaded by uh, French troops at the time. And we still have certain words from French that made it into Turkish language only used in Adana region. It's very funny. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I know we're going to find out, but those forces did not stay long enough to make a huge difference in society, but they did leave behind some elements of their culture. Is that right? Yes, very little. Uh, for a couple of years or maybe less, uh, maybe they were able to occupy, not even a year, my guess, for Adana at least. Okay. So when uh, after landing uh, in Samson, which is that day that he uh, considers his birthday, he started organizing the uprising and avoided dismissal from the army, from the Ottoman army, by officially resigning late on the evening of July 7th. In, this is 1919 still. Uh, in summary, he led a number of wars, ridding Anatolia of the Allied forces and ignoring uh, at that time the puppet sultan as the leader of Turkish people. The Turkish nationalists under his self-created army uh, regained control in provinces and they formed the Grand National Assembly on April 23rd, 1920 in Ankara, which is now our capital. At the time, Istanbul was still the capital. Then with Anatolia, rid of most of the allies, the Grand National Assembly under Mustafa Kemal's bidding voted on November 1st, 1922 to abolish the Sultanate. And that is the date really, at least in Turkish history, is the very end of the uh, Ottoman Empire. And can I ask mm -hmm. just one clarifying question? You are using the name Anatolia. Can you explain that a little bit? Yep, uh, Anatolia is a, a region in Europe and Middle East in a way that kind of connects the two regions between each other. Uh, this is a region that was a cradle of civilization through time by so many different civilizations. You, you dig under uh, Anatolia and then you will find like layers and layers of different civilizations that live there. It is surrounded by the Black Sea on the northern part than the agency on the western part and the Mediterranean Sea on the uh, southern part. And that is the land that we're talking about. It is about the size of Texas, uh, <laughs> if Americans want to make a comparison. And that is a region that most, uh, you know, Turkish people were still at and they wanted to preserve that as their own country. Okay. Okay. Thank you. So by the time we reach 1920, Mustafar has um, gained control of Anatoya. Is that correct? Uh, uh, more or less, yes. And then in 1922, they said we abolished the sultanate. So this is a people saying we no longer be will be governed by a king, if you will. Okay. 
Yes. And uh, this was soon followed uh, by the flight into exile of Sultan Mehmed IV on November 17th. So that is, I guess, two weeks he stayed and then he was, you know, okay, I got to go. And rightfully so, that was a very smart move on his end. I believe he fled to Europe and the Allies then invited uh, the Ankara government, which is the new capital of the uprising, to discussions that resulted in signing of the Treaty of Lausanne in July 24th, 1923. A very important date uh, as now the Allies are saying, okay, we recognize you, we have you as you know, a force in front of us. And this treaty in Lausanne, it uh, fixed the European border of Turkey at that time. Okay. And then uh, shortly after the nationalists occupied Istanbul on October 2nd, same year, and Ankara was named the capital. And on October 29th, 1923, that's the date we're talking about. That's when the Turkish Republic was proclaimed. And Turkey was now in complete control of its territory and sovereignty. That is exciting. So could you tell me a little bit more about this brand new republic that was formed? Absolutely. And also, uh, I'll go into a little bit of why it still matters today. So Mustafa Kemal, he pursued a policy of westernization and secularization in which Western styles of dress and appellation were made mandatory and seclusion of women was abolished and the legal and educational system was overhauled. And those are the items I'm going to go over. And this stands true for modern day uh, Turkey to this day. The guiding principle of the new governance was basically the existence of a permanent state of revolution and meaning like continuing change in the state and in society. The caliphate, that notion of that there is a leader of the Muslim people, uh, was abolished in 1924 by the same government. And uh, to re- kind of remember the past since early 16th century with Sultan uh, Selim, remember the Ottoman sultans laid claim to the title of the uh, caliph of Muslims. And it was abolished uh, by Mustafa Kemal in 1924. The religious schools were dismantled at that same time. The abolition of religious courts followed during the same year because this uh, they're making a very, very prominent point that this is a secular country and we cannot be ruled by religious courts. In 1925, wearing the fez was prohibited and thereafter uh, Turks wore the Western style headdress. And uh, Mustafa Kemal went on a speaking tour of Anatolia during which he wore a European style hat setting an example for the Turkish people. And in the same year, the religious brotherhoods, these are like strongholds of conservatism, were outlawed. And the emancipation of women was encouraged uh, by Mustafa Kemal's marriage in 1923 uh, to a Western-educated woman, Latifa Hanum. And uh, that was set in motion by a number of laws. In December uh, 1934, women in Turkey were given the vote for parliamentary members and were made eligible to hold parliamentary seats. Please note this is actually before a lot of, not a lot, a number of European countries were able to do so. For instance, British women did not have the same rights at that time. And almost overnight, the whole system of Islamic law was discarded. And I am uh, very, very proud to say that one sentence, I uh, love the fact that we are a secular country. 
you know, I would love to hear more about whether or not he received any pushback with all of these laws, because Mm -hmm. they, they sound very progressive for the time. And given that the majority of people in Turkey are Muslim, then was there any pushback to this? Did he come up against serious opposition to any of that? I believe, and uh, this is not a historical fact or anything, this is uh, what I remember from studying back in time, that there was. But it was such an important time in history that you are just creating a new nation out of rubbles. Yeah. And basically, the you know opposition, what, what's the, oppos- the opposition here? Let's go back to the allies. Let's go, let's give Italy, you know, this region and France this region, like, it is such a choice that like some people had to make that they said, okay, we will continue you know, being Muslims in our own way, but we will not be ruled by Islamic law. Yeah. And, and like all these abolishments and like, you know, no more brotherhoods, no more religious schools, of course, are a little too extreme, but uh, I guess extreme times count like calls for extreme measures. And that was the thinking at the time. And uh, any opposition, my guess, was uh, kind of silenced and shut down as promptly as possible. Of course, though, am I saying that's the right way to do it? I am not with my modern mind in, you know, year 2022. I do not think that. But at the time, perhaps it was necessary. I would need to live at that time to make that comparison. Yeah, and it it certainly sounds like it's set this new country apart and ahead of most other countries in the world at that time, as far as um, progressive policies towards women and um, freedoms in in general, I would say. Yeah. And secularism, 100%. So a little bit more information about that from uh, February to June in the year 1926. Uh, Basically, the modern Turkey at that time, the Swiss Civil Code, the Italian Penal Code, and the German Commercial Code were adopted wholesale during those few months. As a result, uh, women's emancipation was strengthened by the abolition of polygamy. Uh, Marriage was made a civil contract, not a religious contract, and divorce was also recognized as a civil action. And a reform of truly revolutionary uh, proportions was the replacement of the Arabic script, in which the Ottoman Turks language had been written for centuries, and we replaced it by the Latin alphabet. So this took place officially in uh, November of uh, 1928, setting Turkey on the path to achieving one of the highest literacy rates in the Middle East. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it is an extraordinary time. Like I, I cannot believe when I, you know, think back on what he did in one lifetime, in a short lifetime too. Uh, right. By the way, uh, the, the things he accomplished, and I'm like, I'm a project manager at a tech company. I'm just like, <laughs> oh my goodness. But basically, when he made that decision and adopted the Latin alphabet, he went into the countryside and with chalk and a blackboard, he demonstrated the new alphabet to the Turkish people and explained how the letters should be pronounced. And so overnight, uh, you know, it was so much easier to learn the Latin alphabet. And you can I can teach you how to read Turkish in I'm not kidding, in an hour, you will be able to read it. You won't know what you're saying, but it is that easy. It is that easy. And that was the goal. The right. high literacy was the goal. 
Another important step was the adoption of surnames or family names. And at that time, the Grand National Assembly gave Mustafa Kemal the name Atatürk, which means the father of the Turks. This was in 1934. And uh, that is the name we know him by, Atatürk. And I believe by law in Turkey, uh, nobody can claim that name uh, other than him. There's only one Atatürk. Yes, that is one last name given to one person. And yeah, even the Turkish politicians, regardless of party affiliation, all of them through time claim to be the inheritors of Atatürk's mantle, but none has matched his breadth of vision, dedication, and selflessness. Wow. So he really is the father of the country, not just at that time, but it sounds like even today, people really are are very dedicated to what he did for Turkey. Yes, uh, I believe so. There are some, of course, oppositions today as well. But with, you know, within reason, of course, I'm not saying everything he did was right. In a modern time, I cannot say that. But he did what he had to do at the time to take a country of rubbles and take it into the next century. That's incredible. I would love to hear more about the implications for modern Turkey. Um, well, by all means. So, I mean, of course, you know, the literacy in Turkey is perfectly well, and uh, we, we still have the right to vote as women and be elected. And uh, we had a, a female prime minister also in our history. And prime minister at that time had uh, even more powers than the president, by the way. So uh, there are tons of implications that we still carry over in terms of freedom, secularity, and women's rights. And uh, another lovely example, I just admire this person too. I didn't know, by the way, before uh, this podcast that Atatürk had 13 adopted children. I thought he only had one because I know only of her. And one of those children, Sabihe Gökçen, uh, she became a Turkish aviator. So during her flight career, she flew around 8,000 hours and participated in 32 different military operations. Wow. She is the world's first female fighter pilot, age 23. Wow. This is from uh, the Guinness Book of uh, yeah, Records. And uh, it, right now, one of Istanbul's uh, greatest, largest airports is named after her. That's incredible. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. She's quite amazing. There are pictures of her holding his hand, you know, as a, like a baby, uh, like a toddler walking around. And then there are pictures of her as an aviator. And it's just incredible. And also, we are nearing a very historical time uh, for Turkish people. Next year, 2023, we will be celebrating 100th year of the proclamation of our beloved republic. And, you know, may we be governed under secularity and keep our sovereignty for all centuries to come. Well, I want to thank you again so much for joining me for this episode. Um, It's been really wonderful to hear your perspective and the pride that you have for your country. It's really encouraging. And um, I just, I love to hear that. I love your enthusiasm and excitement for your home country. That is really wonderful for you to share that with me. And thank you for asking me about it. I'm glad this worked out. I'm very happy. Great. Me too. Thank you so much.